Time for us to meet another writer who's part of this year's Hong Kong Literary Festival. Joining me in the studio now is Kit Fan, who is a Hong Kong-born poet and writer. So, Kit, welcome to the program. Thank you, Karen. Very nice to meet you. Yeah, nice great, great for you to be here. Thank so, you. for those listeners who don't know about you, tell us about you and your work. Uh, my name is Kit Fan. I'm a poet and also a fiction writer. Uh, I was born in Hong Kong in um, 1979, and I was, I was born educated here. And um, I went to the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Then afterwards, I got a scholarship and ended up in Britain studying for postgraduate degree. Uh, and you, have you stayed there ever since? Yes, I did. Accidentally. Accidentally? Really. <laughs> Why? How accidentally? Well, you know how like life, life is so much about chances. And, and, and I, I intentionally I thought I would just be there for one year to do an MA. And, and I stayed on and did a PhD. And then it, it just one thing led to another. And really. suddenly, 20 plus years have gone I by. Know, I know. <laughs> so how often do you come back to Hong Kong? Uh, I try to come back um, maybe every two years. Um, I still have my parents and my younger sister here, so it's important to see them. Uh, but it is quite far away, even with better aircraft and, and, yeah. <laughs> and shortening flight time. is is. It's amazing how you look at the globe and you see Google Earth and you can actually see, okay, there it is, and then you, you move around um, on the screen. But actually, physically moving from one side of the world to another is still pretty demanding it on the is. body. Yes, and plus you have to deal with the jet lag yes, afterwards yeah. and not really feeling yourself for quite a, quite a few yeah. days. Yeah. So what is it like for you when you do come back to Hong Kong? I mean, um, are there certain things that you always do when you're here or does is there a feeling of comfort still that this is home? Um, I think comfort is, an, is a good word and I think home does, I mean, I think home should create a sense of comfort for, for everybody but I think, I think it was Derek Mahanan, the Irish poet, who said home is where the heart breaks oh. and, and I think there is a sense of heartbreaking as well because having having lived abroad for so long, um, I speak to my parents or friends very regularly, and I think the question of where is home is constantly looming in many people's mind, whether you're actually living in one place or you're living in two places or multiple places, like many of us are these days. Uh, so I think it's a constant struggle between longing, comfort, and heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I, I have the same thing. You know, I grew up in Australia, but I've lived here for 25 years, but I spend four or five months in the US. And where is home? You know, home mm. is maybe where your family is, or it's, yeah. you know, where you're happiest at that moment. So it's a, yeah. it's, it is an interesting concept, especially nowadays when people do travel so much and live in different places. Yes, and I think so much of our identities are bound up in the place we live in. And, and, but if you don't live in one place, then then you're constantly in a flux, in transition. And I think that that really challenges people's idea of a stable identity. And and so every time I come back to Hong Kong, I speak Cantonese, I enjoy speaking Cantonese, then I feel like my brain just switches over to, to another dimension. You're a different person. Yeah, a different person, <laughs> um, making those Cantonese jokes. And, and I think being in the city, just the energy of the city, the kind of sleeplessness, the noise, um, the kind of 
you see the sea of people walking at you. Yes, yes, and sometimes <laughs>、yeah. right into you. Yes, yeah, and, <laughs> and and it does create a sense of excitement, frustration,、um, but at the same time, it changes the way you feel about the rhythm of life.、Yeah. I think. Yeah, tell us also how you became a poet. I mean. Most kids growing up won't say, "Oh, when I grow up, I want to be a poet." And most parents will probably say, <laughs> "Would not say that either, right?" Well, I don't think I certainly didn't think that I would become a poet at all、uh, when I grew up in Hong Kong. And and I think what you said was right. I mean, my parents, I tried to do art, and my parents said, "No, instead you should do computer science." <laughs> and I listened to them, and and that was the beginning of a lifelong grudge. Oh really? <laughs> so you actually followed them? Yeah, I did. You I mean, became a computer scientist? No, no. I mean, I didn't do art. I mean, I could have if I've done art, I would probably have been more exposed to to kind of the more creative、mm. spheres earlier.、Um, but I did computer science, and I I. I, I was I was crap at it. So, <laughs> so, so I think it was a revealing story for my parents too. Actually, they I mean they they did force me to do things that I didn't want to do, but it wasn't a good story.、Mm. So I I didn't study English literature in my secondary school because I went to a local secondary school.、Uh, they didn't offer literature, so I started study kind of humanities <laughs> subjects that. In, included geography, economics, and、um, and then afterwards, I I wanted to be a film director,、mm-hmm. like many kids in Hong Kong, yeah, actually.、Yes. Um, and I was told that there's no future、right. because it was very, it was quite close to handover. Yeah, and so my English teacher, she was. Real inspiration to me that she just said maybe you need to do a safe subject. Like、right. English,、okay. and that's how I I chose English literature、oh, at university, and that was your journey into eventually writing and poetry. Yes, I think it was the beginning of it. Yeah,、oh, definitely. Okay, interesting. I I'm always interested. You know, we don't day to day we don't meet a lot of poets these、yeah. days. I mean, poetry is something that、um, you. Often learn in school, maybe in elementary school.、Mm. You know, you play with rhyme and and different forms of poetry. And then as you get older, it sort of disappears out of your life.、Mm. And as an adult, I'd say most adults are not reading, writing、yeah. poetry every day. So how how do you think you can bring poetry back into your everyday life? Well, this is a is a great question. I think that was the question that、uh, one of the students asked me. I was in a workshop in Tongchong yesterday.、Um, they said that they don't experience poetry any as, like I don't know, television or fiction. And then I said,、uh, because it was in the Christian school, I said,、um, so do you know the Bible?、Uh, do you know Genesis, for example? They said, well, but the Bible is written in verse. Or、um, do you listen to songs? Uh, songs are lyrics,、mm. <laughs> so and, and they're often poetic. And, they、yeah. are very. I think I found a Cantonese song particularly poetic, actually,、uh, compared to kind of pop short Western songs that are often about love. And、uh, actually, there's a. I think people do. Some people are quite skeptical about Cantonese songs, but I think actually some of the very good Cantonese songs they're well written. They have the lyrics are actually very poetic,、mm. so. Also, think poetry is I me. Mean, 
poetry is also apart from the written words. People do experience a poetic moment. You know. Yes. Yes. And 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 it could be. I don't know. You go to Lantau Island, have a walk in the country, and then you see a certain tree.、Mm-hmm. You listen to the river, and and or you go to the sea and have a swim, and and you see a heron.、Mm. <laughs> so we have to expand what we、um, define as poetry, I guess, and、I、be able、so. to just、yeah. sort of identify it. You know, when we experience it. That's、yeah. how I. That's how I see it. Yeah, and often some of the. Well, I think poetry exists on a page. It exists on people's memory. In people's memory, but it also exists in moments as we pass through the street.、Mm. How we experience the world. Now, you obviously write poetry. Do you think that that poetry is meant to be read, or is it meant to be listened to? I think it's. I think it's both, really. I, I mean, it, it feels like a very easy way out to say both, <laughs> but, <laughs> but but I think it is indeed both. Um. um I think there is a cult of the poet.、Uh, the cult. A lot, I think a、okay. lot of readers might think they need to see the poet and hear the poet read in order to understand the po- poems. And and I think I have I have had that experience too. Sometimes you don't understand the work of a poet, but then the moment you you hear them read, you you. Seem to gain like a secret passage、mm. to to like an access to to a certain level understanding that could happen, but but、uh, but I also think that poetry you can actually experience poetry without having heard the poet reading it, but I do think that reading doesn't only necessarily mean、uh, reading it with your eyes. I think you can also read it as a reader, reading it. You can mentally reading the poem out loud,、mm-hmm. but or you can also vocally reading it out loud. I don't know whether you have that experience when you're reading a book. Sometimes you you or you're reading it quite carefully. Then actually you're voicing the poem inside your or something inside your brain. Right. Yes. And yes. and and that. It, that is a, also a form of reading and speaking. That's、yeah. how I, I see it. Okay, so can we get you to read one of your poems for our <laughs> sure. listeners? Sure. Sure.、Yeah. Which、um, one is it? What are you going to read? I'm going to read a poem called Resistance. Resistance. Okay. Um, um, this poem was written quite a while ago, but I, I I've been quite struck when I was returning to my second poem, poem which is called As Slow as Possible. Um. I found recently I mean, there has been a lot of resistance or protests across the world,、yes. uh, in basically at all corners of the world. And and but one of the particular protest image that really kind of stuck in my mind recently was when the 16-year-old、uh, Greta Thunberg, as、yes. a Swedish girl, she she went to the UN. And I don't know whether you saw that footage of her. Yeah, the、shaking. very defiant. Yes, yes. She was、girl. shaking and literally physically, and and at the edge of tears, anger, rage, total rage in front of the television, and I thought、um, it was such a powerful image of protest of human trying to protest for something for our future,、mm. but at the same time I was thinking actually, the environment, the world has been protesting against us. Right. In an interesting yeah, sense, yeah. so the iceberg, the Amazon, the forests in California, or the sea levels—they、mm. are, in a way, all these kind of warnings are a form of protest. So 
I thought if trees are going to protest, they're going to protest in in the form of a villanelle,、oh, which is a、okay. very elaborate form in in a poetic form. So, all right, yeah, off you go. Resistance. There comes a time a leaf will fall back to its vein, with generations of green mouths unbudding as a form of protest, a way of branching in. And there will be no rustling where the wind has been, and many a limb in the fall will not have gone missing. There comes a time a leaf will fall back to its vein, and twigs and branches will unfork and loosen their ties. No more dapple streets, no healing of the nations, as the crowns are branching in. Each bark ear withdraws. And each ring loses its kin. Each strand of root retraces its course into nothing. There comes a time a leaf will fall back to its vein. It will return to the first acorn within a family of seed, leaving no trace of its undoing. A quiet protest, a way of branching in. It will return to where it once survived and begin again in the valley of its unmaking. There comes a time a leaf will fall back to its vein, as a form of protest, a way of branching in. Beautiful, very evocative. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was really really nice, and and I do think hearing you read it actually makes it easier to understand than reading the words on the page. Great. Great. So hopefully you'll be doing that a lot more. <laughs> so tell us then, what are you working on now or next? What's coming up for you? What's coming up for me? Um, I've ventured into write, fiction writing, and I've written quite a few short stories, and they were, I mean, people seem to like them, and and so I, I've written a novel, and it's going to be published in the UK, um, by Little Brown, uh, in two thousand and twenty one spring. Twenty twenty one. Can you、and、tell us what it's about?、Uh, it's called Diamond Hill,、oh, which is Diamond Hill, Hong Kong. Yes,、mm. yeah. And I was brought up quite near it. I was brought up near Kowloon Bay, just across, really. And、um, it, it it's about the last shanty town in Hong Kong, uh, um, which went. I mean, it's a very long-standing shanty town, but it was the last shanty town in Hong Kong, and and that piece of land was sold.、Um, I think the The eighties, yeah. So it's set ten years before the handover. The book,、um, it's a struggle between power of a Buddhist nunnery,、mm-hmm. uh, the triad, and also、um, property developers. Oh, the so, eternal struggle. <laughs> yeah, it is in a way the eternal struggle of Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah in many、wow. sense. Sounds great. Well, Kit, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your poetry,、yeah. also sharing what's coming up with you. It's been really, really great to talk with you, and I hope the rest of your Hong Kong stays is is a great time as well. Thank you, Karen, for all your insightful questions. Oh, not at all. Thanks so much, Kit. <laughs> thank you. And we've been speaking with Kit Fan, who is a Hong Kong-born poet and writer, who is here for the Hong Kong International Literary Festival.